All right. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to Two Guys Watching Football. And we are doing a very exciting simulcast with the guys from the Deep Cover Podcast. This will be regular Deep Cover Podcast and also a new series I'm running on the Two Guys Watching Football channel, which, of course, I was not going to not capitalize on John Harbaugh. And this is called the End of the Bar segment. So I'm joined at the end of the bar with my guys. It's Carrie Stevenson, Michael Crawford, and Chris Aguilera. Boys, how's it going? Good, man. Good. Happy to be here. Um, let's let's get into it, man. I'm ready. Carrie, yeah. what's up, yeah, man? Yeah, I'm excited, man. It's a lot of names. Like we talked about that. He talked about casting that wide net. He definitely did that. So we got a lot to get into, man, with this one. And MC, the original other guy of two guys watching football. <laughs> I agree. With, it's good to be here. I agree with Chris and Carrie. Let's let's serve it up. We down here at the end. We got our drink order in. Let's get it going. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to start off talking a little bit about what we want to see in a new offensive coordinator style-wise, um, some of the carryover we'd like to see. And then we're going to run through some of the names um, we can't run through all of them because we'll be here till 3 a.m. Uh, we'll get kicked out. Uh, so we'll run through some of the, I, I would say, bigger names or top names or more likely names and then kind of wrap it up. So uh, let's start off with kind of the first piece. So we know the way the Ravens are built right now, we have, you know, it, it was a heavy personnel um, approach that we saw under Greg Roman. Uh, gap run scheme, dominant option run game. So taking all that into account, you know, and I'll, I'll start over with you, Chris, kind of what, what's kind of the first thing you want to see with a new offensive coordinator in terms of the style that they're going to bring to us? So um, I, I think the what's misconstrued a lot is that you just want it to be a pass-happy offense, and that is not the direction that I want them to go in. I still want them to be able to run the ball effectively. I still want it to be mainly a run first team, but you can also, like we've been saying all year, you can be a run first team and also have a competent passing game. And I would like someone who could come in here and make defenses defend every blade of grass, you know, not just have everything so condensed, but also be able to run out of those formations, which is something that Kerry has brought up, you know, numerous times. And just somebody who can utilize that space and be able to open things up and utilize the wide receivers. I mean, let's have the wide receivers have some fun again. You know, the wide receivers have come here, whether it's vets, whether it's young guys, and it doesn't seem like any of these dudes like playing wide receiver for the Ravens. And, you know, I mean, if you're winning, cool. But when you're struggling, you see those whispers start to get a little bit louder and louder and louder. And it's like, you know, let's let's get to the 21st century with this and let's let's make the the wide receivers have some fun and be involved in the games. And, you know, something similar to like what we see with the Eagles, where the Eagles prioritize the run, but they're also able to feed their guys too. maybe one week. It'll be Smith. The next week it'll be Brown. One week it'll be Goddard. But, you know, everybody's eating. The run game is running and you make everything easier for your quarterback. Yeah, the Eagles comparison seems like it's going to come up a lot, I think, as we go into this new era of Ravens offensive football because they were built kind of similar to the 2019 Ravens in terms of having that 
that run focus, but a very efficient passing game. And they share a lot of similarities. Like we saw they, I forget what the statistic was around Ravens, the Ravens in 2019 scoring on their opening drive, but it's pretty similar to the Eagles being the best opening drive team in football. And it just speaks to that ability for them to come out and defenses not really know what to do. Um, but also even just the personnel that exists, like the, I mean, we heard it directly from DaCosta and um, Harbaugh mentioned it a little bit, but like they, they, they said they need to rebuild the receiver room and that's something that's going to have to be a priority. Of course you have Bateman, um, Duvernay is still going to be here most likely. I actually really liked Marcus Robinson. I hope he's brought back his depth, but uh, you know, there's going to probably be some additions there, but MC, how do you kind of see it going out, especially with the, uh, I would say that the tight ends they have on roster on, on the roster, because I mean, they got some Kohler showed some promise likely obviously showed some promise. We know who Mark Andrews is. So as you kind of go into a new offense, how do you kind of carry that tight end talent in to a new passing game or a new, I would say a new offensive coordinator who they seem to be focused on with a pass game coordinator background. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's something we've seen across the league. Um, you know, more 12 personnel, two tight end sets, uh, sometimes three tight ends, you know, depending on the team. Uh, those guys have just continued to be some of the biggest mismatches on the field. When you can get them matched up with, you know, linebackers are too, they're too athletic for linebackers. They're too big for safeties. Um, and so I think kind of along the lines of what Chris was saying, um, we talked about this on one of the shows that we did where it's like a, it's like an old neighborhood, right? that's getting revitalized. We want to, we want to make this a place. People used to say, Hey man, if you're wide receiver, you can't go there. You can't go to that part of town. There's nothing over there. It's dead. We're trying to revitalize that, make it a place that people <laughs> want to, wide receivers want to come and get like, Oh, they're throwing the ball. Oh, they're creating space. Oh, there's easy opportunities. There's free releases. Uh, <laughs> you know, the passing game is married with the running game uh, a little better. That That's kind of the biggest thing for me with the passing game. Uh, the running game, you know, it's it's probably not going to be identical to what Greg Roman did. You know, obviously he was a really heavy gap scheme kind of guy. Uh, and you, you also had quite a bit of QB run in there. So you might not get that exact same thing. But I think something that I always try to remind myself with this is like, keep in mind who's doing the hiring, right? I understand there are probably a variety of people involved in these interviews. It's not just John Harbaugh. But if he's making the decision, if he's kind of the final decision maker at the end, he wants to play that way, okay? He wants to run the ball. He wants to play defense. He wants to play good special teams. It's not that he doesn't want to throw the ball, but I think that he has a different vision for the way that he wants to do that. So I think as long as he's kind of the, the final decision maker or at least the decision maker whose voice maybe carries the most weight, you're, all, you're probably always going to see an emphasis placed on the run game. So whether that's gap, whether that's zone, whatever that looks like, I don't know. But those two things marrying the passing game a little better to the run game in terms of play action or RPOs or, you know, however you do that. But then also, and I, I guess I'd probably take this from Sonny the Shanahan offices, uh, Shanahan offenses and Carrie and I were talking about this, just how much space it creates for things in the, um, you know, for players in the passing game, whether that's tight ends or receivers, right? They just create so much space for these guys and so much separation um, that you can get them the ball and they can actually do something with it. Uh, you know, after the catch. So that's, that's kind of the, the thing that I'm looking for. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I mean, we have seen it over the years, the way like Harbaugh doesn't seem to have a preference in terms of the scheme, the 
offensive coordinator runs. We we went zone heavy 2014, carried through to 2016, and then 2017, 2018 it switched. I forget which years, but like he's basically kind of left that up to his offensive coordinator. And we talked a lot about the pass game, but Kerry, in terms of like the run game, do you have a preference in terms of seeing someone come in that's kind of gap heavy like Roman was, or do you prefer to see a little bit more of a zone preference in terms of where, I mean, understanding, I try not to, if I've learned anything from MC over the years, it's, you'll have a, 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 a lean towards preference, but everybody's running everything nowadays, except for maybe the QB run game. That was something that made Greg Roman so unique was just how he'd set up those option runs. But, and like, we still ran zone, we still ran gap, but you know, it, you're always going to have that base that you lean back on. So is there anything you'd like to see gap for zone in terms of the next offensive coordinator? Not specifically. I mean, I, I, I love the versatility of it. I think you have guys like Ronnie Stanley, Tyler Lindenbaum that you can kind of um, lean on if you want to go more zone. And I think it, it probably, um, you know, a guy that we we won't go too far into the draft, but a guy that would look real nice at left guard um, if that position becomes available. That uh, you know, the cat from um, um, was in North Dakota uh, oh, that you oh, tweeted oh, about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not, to, not to get us derailed too <laughs> too much, but you know, adding that kind of athlete and just you know, just giving the defense a a, a different look is something that you know would be nice nice to see. Um, but overall, as far as what I'm looking for, the OC uh, might hit the number one thing for me, marrying up the run in the past. We just saw too many issues with that in the Roman era, and I think that's one of the things that, that has to be um, top of the priority list um, with this new OC. Um, outside of that, situational play calling is something that, uh, that you know, needs to be shored up. Um also, just a, a system that will, um, like Mike said, create space. Um, I think when I look at how I've viewed this team and viewed additions to this team in previous years, I've looked for lead lifters on offense, um, you know, alpha receivers, so to speak, or deep threats or kind of the more specialty guys. And I don't think office necessarily needs to be played that way. You know, if you find guys that are, are separators, guys that can create after the catch that may not be six, four, they may not run four, three, but if you put them in a system that can maximize their strengths, you're going to get great production out of these guys. I mean, we've seen it in some of these McVay Shanahan type schemes where they have guys that, you know, aren't the biggest, aren't the fastest, but they're super productive with what the system is allowing them to do. Uh, so that's big for me. Another thing is um, having a plan for uh, the players in place, uh, you know, maximizing those guys, you know, making sure JK is fed, making sure he's getting touches in space, making sure he's getting catches. A big thing for me, if I was, you know, um, in the end on these interviews, how are you going to maximize Isaiah Likely? Because I think we can all say that that draft pick was a hit. You know, full stop, that was a hit. 
but it has a chance to be so much more. Um, you know, I tweeted about how in this offense, a lot of these guys were being asked to win in isolation. And really the only ones that could do it were Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely. Like the linebackers, safeties, they could not stay in front of this guy. So this new OC has to have a plan to to really maximize him. And the last thing I'll say is I don't think we need to go through some kind of identity crisis. Like Chris said, I, I think being a run-first team, being a team that imposes their will in the running game should still be a priority. It's also a bit of a zig from the Cincinnati's and uh, Kansas City and the Buffaloes, the, the teams they'll have to go through to get to the Super Bowl. So I like having that 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 zig while everybody else is zagging. But also – how many different styles of games can you win? If you want to win a Super Bowl, you're going to have to win games in different fashions. You're going to have games where, you know, the corner mat might slip on a play and you give up seven. You turn over the ball, you come back, all of a sudden you're down 14 nothing. You have to be resourceful enough to win that game anyway. And so that's what I want to see is a, is a, a team and an offense that can win different styles of, uh, of games because – when you look at Super Bowl winners, they've all done it. They've had to go and win different styles of games, do different things, maybe throw a little bit more than they wanted to, maybe run it a little bit more than they wanted to to, to you know, keep a, a high-powered offense off the field. So just the versatility, being able to win in different ways. Yeah, and that's something that, ironically, everybody focuses on a team like the Bills, but their inability to have a run game was really what kind of came back and right. hit them in the butt, right? So yeah. that ability to win in different ways, I mean, it, it sure, the lack of a pass game has bit the Ravens in the past, but it's just funny to me to see, we need to be like the Bills, and then they lose in the playoffs quite handedly when they can't run the ball at all. And that was really kind of what helped Cincinnati that game, even though, their O-line was getting, you know, beat down in terms of losing some guys, but they still were able to actually run the football. Um, so one thing that I just want to add, like a ton of great points around the, around the horn, but I, I, I found with Greg Roman as, you know, the years went on, things went really well when we controlled the game. And it was like the game plan that he came in with was working and we would just kind of execute and go back to those 2019 years like we, me and me and MC were doing the the coordinators back then. It was a probably the most fun year to be doing that because we were just crushing teams through the run game <laughs> in the regular season. But it was what I what we saw after 2019, where they weren't as dominant um, and they had a little bit more adversity, is those in-game adjustments and the ability to kind of adjust to the to the game script. And it seemed like Greg Roman had a really hard time at certain points and sticking to or not not he would try and stick to his game plan rather than mix it up as we go so someone that has a little bit better feel for those in-game adjustments what's working what's not um and and going from there so that that's one thing that stands out to me too so let's jump into some of the names i'm going to start with um i hope i'm saying it right david canales um so he's the seattle quarterback coach um interesting on him so he actually began with Pete Carroll in 2009 at USC as their strength coach. And then Pete Carroll came to Seattle in 2010 and Canales followed him over. So going from a strength coach to, I believe his first job was 
there. Wrote it down here. What, what was he when he first came over as the QB coach? So it was just kind of a weird transition from a college strength coach to an NFL quarterback coach. But then he's been with them since 2010. Um, he's been QB coach, wide receiver coach. He was the pass game coordinator in 2020-21. But then this year he went back to just the QB coach. Um, and he's only 36 years old. So very, very young cat. Just had his second interview with the Ravens. Um, so, you know, he brings in that pass game coordinator experience. So um, I don't know who wants to kick it off, but does anyone have any thoughts on what we could see Canales bringing to the team and some of the things that he would have learned um, being in Seattle? I guess I, I'll start because, um, you know, I'll get my bias out of the way right up front. Uh, <laughs> just because I like the guy. I've read a little bit about him personally, heard some interviews he's done. He's kind of gone through some things in his personal life that I can relate to. So I, I definitely like him from that standpoint. But in terms of football, um, yeah, there's a, there's an interesting tie going back to that USC year. So he did have the assistant strength coach title. He also worked with their quarterbacks. He also was a video assistant. He had like three or four different roles during that year. The other thing that's interesting about that team is the offensive coordinator on that team was John Morton, who people who have kind of followed Greg Roman may, may remember that John Morton was the wide receivers coach when Greg Roman was the OC of the 49ers. Uh, John Morton's still in the league. I think me, Chris, and Kerry talked about this. I think he's with Detroit right now. I think he was like a senior offensive consultant with Detroit. But anyway, jumping back to that 49ers tie-in, um, reading some old articles on that, people said that Morton really was kind of the passing game coordinator even back then really before that was a title. Like they really didn't, they really weren't calling people that back then, but that was essentially what his role was. So a little bit of a tie in with that in Canales, but um, yeah, just from the, from the on the field, from the football stuff, he played quarterback at Azusa Pacific. Uh, I think that'll come up with a couple of other names. I know we're going to talk about guys who were former quarterbacks. Obviously he got to work all of those years in Seattle with Russell Wilson. Uh, another interesting thing was when he first got there, um, one of the things they had him do was evaluate quarterbacks in the draft. And Geno Smith was one of the guys that he evaluated. They actually put a pretty good grade on and comes up, it all comes full circle, right? You know, it's coming there and they end up working together. But um, I think that you're going to see a little bit. I was, I was telling Carrie about this because, you know, it reminded me of like building a DFS lineup. So you get some exposure to other things through Canales. You get some exposure to Russell Wilson. You get some exposure to Shane Waldron, their offensive coordinator. And we know Seattle has been a pretty heavy run team uh, over the last few years too, more of a zone-based run game, but still kind of have that prioritization uh, in the run game. But they also like to take shots down the field. They like to throw the ball down the field too off of play action. Um, but just one thing before I, I, I let the other guys jump in. Um, this is from an article. Uh, a couple years ago, but I just thought it was interesting. So I'm, I'm, I wanted to actually just read some of this stuff that uh, Canales was quoted on in the article. So this was about Gino, right? He said, the first thing he did is decided to change his footwork, Canales said. He was a traditional left foot quarterback. Uh, and then he was working on some stuff over the summer and he put his left foot up, he put his left foot up and his right foot back. And he said it felt like it calmed his feet down. Second paragraph. One of the biggest growth curves for him initially that we talked about was not being so bouncy on the top of his drop. If you're bouncing your legs, you're bouncing your eye, your eyes are bouncing too. And so you don't have clear vision of what's happening down the field to where you could end up missing a progression. Mm -hmm. So 
I bring that up because it really gives you an example of the technical part of his coaching and his teaching as a guy who played quarterback, as a guy who studied quarterbacks and say, hey, here are the little fine details. And I think we've seen some of that stuff with Lamar, right? It's, it's something that he's worked on, but he's a guy that can get a little toesy at the top of his drop. He's a guy who can kind of bounce up and down a little bit because he's so damn athletic um, that sometimes it's hard to kind of put a, a, a governor on some of that athleticism uh, when you're dropping back. So that kind of interests me, right? Somebody who can come in and really kind of work those fine details. Um, I know that's not really speaking to the high level, like X's and O's, like what kind of scheme do you think he's going to run? Because quite frankly, I don't know. <laughs> but I do like the fact that he's a guy who's into the details of quarterback play. Um, and, and when Lamar, obviously I hope that they resign him first and foremost. Uh, but when that guy is the focus of your offense, really the focus of your team, doing everything that you can to help him be the best version of himself that he can be is like critical, right? So that that's probably the thing with Canales um, that is the highest for me. Yeah, those are good points. I'll jump in. Uh, thing First thing that came to mind with Canales is uh, if you look at Geno Smith's accuracy numbers this year um, in every way play action um, under pressure all those things he had a little bit of a slide towards the end of the year not that he played poorly but he didn't play it at quite the high level he was playing going into it but he has some near elite advanced numbers as far as accuracy um, you know if you look those up so I think on some level for him to kind of come out of the blue, even though I think Gino has been a good quarterback in this league, you know, he, he finally kind of got his shot. But for him to excel at the level he did this year, um, you have to give some modicum of credit to uh, Canales for that. Um, another thing I'll say about him, and it's another candidate we're going to probably talk about soon that did the same thing. Coach quarterbacks went to coach wide receivers went back to coaching quarterbacks. I, I just find that very interesting, especially him being a former quarterback, to get in that wide receiver room, to see it from their lens, and then come back to coaching quarterbacks. Like, what did he learn in that time? And what can he translate? And how does that help him become a better uh, overall coordinator when you get that kind of experience? So, um, you know, Mike made great points and, you know, pointing out a lot as far as what you're kind of tapping into with him, with Shane Waldron, you going all the way back to, uh, to John Morton. Um, and, you know, he's such a young guy, uh, somebody that I think is probably going to be adaptable. Um, but, you know, just gives you a lot of ends with different things, gives you an end with that, um, you know, McVay Shanahan tree with, with Waldron. Um, and again, what Geno Smith did this year is, you know, phenomenal. And so that's something that um, you have to give him credit for. And, it, you know, I'd be curious to see um, what Geno starts are like. What, what, what would he say specifically Canales did to help him make that jump? But, you know, definitely a, a interesting and, and a candidate worth, worth the Ravens' time for sure. Yeah, I mean, piggybacking off what, you know, Mike and Kerry said, um, you know, he's a guy who, you know, you look at the work that he did with Gino, and, you know, if you go to the beginning of the season and you're like, 
Geno Stone's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in the 2022 season, you'd be like, no way. <laughs> but you look at it and, yeah, I mean, credit to Geno, but, you know, credit to, to the coaching staff because, uh, you know, they got him ready. And Mike, that article that Mike shared, you know, it, it really puts into perspective the kind of detail that, that he zeroed in on and, and wanted him to work on. And, you know, like, again, like what Mike said, you know, those fine details, those fine-tuned details would be so important for Lamar because there are times where it just so – he just gets out of whack. And what you want to do is you want to see that consistency for the, the basic throws, you know, the, the little check downs, the little swing passes. That's what you want to see. You want to see just him stick to his fundamentals and somebody that's going to really emphasize that. And I, I think with him, we'll see that and – you know, it's not something that we've really I – mean, I don't want to say we haven't seen it enforced with this coaching staff because we're not behind closed doors. But what we've seen, the development that we've seen with Geno Smith over these last few years, um, I think that's a testament to coaching and, and also the work that Geno has put in. So, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding when, when you see the work that has been done. Yeah, shout out to not right back. He didn't write back. Yeah. <laughs> Tried to write him off. Nah. Yes, Shout out to Gino, man, for not writing back. <laughs> so funny story on that. So I have NCAA 13, and that was Gino Smith's draft year, if I remember correctly. And it's like he's just so good in that game, that, that West Virginia um, offense. He's always in the running for Heisman whenever I start a new franchise. <laughs> so, he's always popping up. Uh, so, you know, that kind of wraps up the thoughts on um, on uh, uh, Canalis overall. Um, really good context there. You can always look to MC for the background stories and digging into the interviews, but finding those connections, it's so key because this really is this is like any other business. It's it's all about who you know and those connections. And that brings us into another guy with very interesting connections. Um, and that's the interest they've had in uh, Kansas City OC Eric Bieniemy. who, um, I mean, we all know his story. He's been under Andy Reid since 2013. Um, he was the uh, running back coach until he became the OC in 2018. Um, former NFL running back who actually played under John Harbaugh in 1999 as a member of the Eagles. And I'm just looking at that that roster of coaches right now. David Culley coaching wide receivers. Juan Castillo coaching the O-line. Jim Johnson, of course, as the D.C. Ron Rivera coaching linebackers. Leslie Fraser coaching DBs. And Steve Spragnola coaching uh, as a defensive assistant under Andy Reid. Uh, and Sean McDermott was the assistant to the head coach. Did they not like? Did Man. they win? They went five and eleven. Like, what's going on here? I think that was Donovan McNabb's rookie year, to be fair. But uh, like, what a star-studded cast of coaches! Holy. But Bienemy, um was a running back on the team, but he was, I believe, their primary or one of the main kick returners. So obviously, would have been very connected. And of course, the connection between Andy Reid and John Harbaugh. So it was interesting to see that. Um, we'll talk a little bit about what we think that would bring, but. You know, what do you guys think about the story with the enemy? You know, the, he's kind of been a head coach candidate for the last four or five seasons, it feels like. And to see him move laterally, do you guys see that as he, maybe he needs to get away from Andy Reid to kind of take that next step if he wants to be a head coach? Do you think that's just kind of a media narrative? Like, 
I, I know we don't want to dig too much into that, but I'm really curious on, I was just shocked, I guess, to see that like a potential lateral move. So I'm curious on some of your thoughts. I mean, I personally wouldn't want to leave Patrick Mahomes. Uh, <laughs> I would want to, I would want to stay hitched to that wagon for as long as I possibly could. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, these guys are all type A, you know, type personalities. They all uh, believe in, in challenging themselves and overcoming obstacles. And I think, you know, maybe if he were to accept an offensive coordinator position with the Ravens, um, like you say, a sort of a lateral move, maybe he would look at that as a new challenge. Like, hey, you know, I've worked with Patrick. Obviously, we've done a lot of great things. Um, but, you know, Lamar is a guy who's super talented, but but probably, you know, him individually and them as a team haven't been able to get to where they want to go yet. So maybe he looks at that as a challenge that he wants to take on. And then, of course, you know, there's all of the stuff that comes out of there about who's actually calling the plays. Is it him? Is it Andy Reid? Is it Nagy? Is it one of these, you know, this is all, nobody knows. We're not there. Um, you know, Chiefs fans who follow the team every day may know a little bit more about that, obviously, than we do. But clearly, I'm not there, so I don't know. Uh, so maybe that could be a factor in it for him as well, saying, "Hey, let me let me go somewhere where that's kind of not in dispute," you know, um, you know, with a with a different team. But I think the thing with him setting aside, you know, the head coaching stuff and and why he hasn't been given that opportunity there, because there's a bunch of narrative that comes out of that too about he doesn't interview well or he rubs people the wrong way. You know, who knows if any of that stuff is true. The one thing that I think you hear from Patrick Mahomes and some of the other players on that Chiefs team is that he's just going to be a guy who really holds you accountable. So not that other coaches don't, but I think it's just, the you know, look, people can do the same. Two different people can do the same thing, right? You can say, hey, this coach holds me accountable. That coach holds me accountable. But they can do it in different ways. And I think you've seen, if you've heard some of the mic'd up segments with EB, uh, it's, it's to the point, right? There's no sugarcoating it. There's no... It's, hey, man, here's what it is. Here's what you need to be doing. If you're not doing it, then you're not meeting the standard. And that's not acceptable around here. I think it was Garnett who posted this clip uh, when EB was coaching uh, Adrian Peterson as a rookie. He was a running back coach in the Vikings, and he was getting in APs, you know. <laughs> and it was just because he knew how talented this guy was. And so he was just going to set a really high standard for him. You know, the bar needed to be high because his talent matched that. And so he was like on him about every little thing, you know, all throughout practice, just like in his ear, in his ear, in his ear. So I think you've heard some of that kind of carry over where he's just going to be that guy that's super, super high level of accountability. And it's not going to be done in a way where any words are minced. You're going to know exactly where he stands and exactly what he's expecting of you. And he's a competitor, you know, a guy who played the game in the NFL. And so, you know, when, when, you know what hits the fan, uh, you know, he's as competitive as, as some of the players at times and not afraid to to be, you know, challenging in those moments with the player. So I don't have a problem with any of that. I mean, to me, I'm like, look, if you're trying to get to where the Chiefs are, then maybe some of that's not such a bad thing. I mean, that's <laughs> obviously been a part of their formula there. And it seems to be working pretty well. So maybe that's not such a bad thing uh, to have somebody come in and, and, and kind of, you know, really set that bar of accountability at a really high level and, and, and not sugarcoat how they get to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with, with uh, EB, it's um, at first, like, like you guys, I was like, 
why would he do that? Like, why would he want to be the OC in Baltimore? Like, when you, you know, with Andy Reid, you with Mahomes, you got all the success. But then the more I think about it, it's like, you know, maybe he just wants to run his own offense. Like, not saying that he doesn't run the offense in Kansas City, but you know Andy Reid has his input and fingerprints all over that offense. So maybe he's like, man, I need to get away from this dude. Like, it's like a like a kid leaving home, you know, like a uh, – a young adult leaving the home. It's like, I love you, mom, but I, I got to get out. I got to be on my own. I, I want to put my shoes this way. You know, I, I don't want to do them the way you want me to do them. And, you know, I think Baltimore with Harbaugh, Harbaugh's shown that he'll give his OCs the freedom to do what they want. And maybe that's what EB's looking for. You know, he's like, I, I got Lamar. I got a good, well, hopefully got Lamar. I got, uh, hopefully got Lamar, got a good old line. You know, I, I can do what I want over here and I won't have to be running Andy Reid's exact system. I can do what I want to do and have that freedom to run the offense that I want to run. So I think that would be interesting to see because we've heard, like Mike said, we've heard whispers, you know, how much is Andy Reid, how much is it EB? But I, I'd be interested to see what would he do. I mean, he's a former running back. Maybe he would have more of a heavier run game than Andy Reid likes to have because – Andy Reid, he's not really known for having, you know, a heavy dose of the run game. Maybe EB being a former running back would want to put more emphasis on the run, but also bring those, you know, passing concepts that, you know, from that Andy Reid system. So it'd be interesting to see, and I'd be on board for it. And, you know, like Mike said, you know, I just personality-wise, I, I like those kind of dudes. You know, I, I like those guys that, that aren't afraid to get into their star players. You know, we saw him get into it with Travis Kelsey. You know, it's best tight end in the league and you know he's letting them have it letting them know what he needs to hear and you know sometimes you need that you know you need that we we see it with marcus peters sometimes where yeah it may rub some dudes the wrong way but you know you need that on the sidelines every now and then like michael leaving the jackson five bobby brown <laughs> leaving new edition <laughs> gotta get out here and do my own thing man it's my prerogative no, okay my bad here <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I think Chris made a really good point. One something that I didn't really think about is like how different could that be for him to go from Andy Reid, who's got his fingerprints all over the offense, to a place you know for a fact the offensive coordinator has. I don't want to say free reign because I don't think that's probably the best way to put it, but I mean it's pretty much like they're running their thing, they're doing their thing. Harbaugh has always been about that. Like, it's the complete opposite situation. So I think that's something I hadn't thought about that, you know, really popped out. But, Kerry, what do you what do you think? Oh, Kerry's frozen. At least he's frozen like, with a smile on his face. Yeah, like, <laughs> like somebody's tickling him. <laughs> usually, usually you get frozen with, like, your face so crooked, and there he goes. No, man, maybe, maybe that was his <laughs> – that's how he feels about EB. Yeah, he, he's out. <laughs> um, I think he was given the seal of approval. You saw that smile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, I like that move. There, I think that's a good move. there he goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, There's so our I, boy. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. So uh, I'll jump in on EB. What I will say, it, it, it's pretty clear what this is about. I think the number is 15 times that he's interviewed for a head coaching job since he's been the OC of Kansas City. 
I don't know. I'm sure somebody else keeps up with the numbers on that. That has to be some kind of record to <laughs> interview that many times for a head coaching job and not get one um, is just, you know, insane to me. So it, it's clear what the play is here. Um, kind of get out from up under that Andy Reid and, and Mahomes. That that's a that's a part of it too. A Mahomes shadow because you're getting it from both ends. You know, there's questioning if he's doing the play calling, how much play calling he's doing, those things. Um, that's from the coaching standpoint. And then there's the Mahomes is so brilliant, how much of it can be attributed to you. So, you know, there's motivation there, I think, for him to find a situation where he can come in and put his own imprint and and, and staple on things. So I could definitely see it from that standpoint. As far as the fit, um, you know, it, it would be something I would, would welcome. Um, you see the creativity of that offense. You see them bringing in different ideas year after year. They bring in different coaches. They pick their brains on different things. They implement things within this offense. So having that level of creativity um, here in Baltimore, I think, would be um, would be great. And it's good that him and Harbaugh have a relationship, even though we, we don't necessarily care for the hard buddy situation. <laughs> but in this situation where there's kind of unknowns and then he's coming from a system and an offense that does things totally different from what Baltimore has done it. You want to see some kind of familiarity there where, you know, he understands um, what EB is about on some level. Um, So I I think that would make the transition a bit smoother. And then, Hey man, might see some running back screens. (laughs) <laughs> lord help us and <laughs> gully squad in the comments what up gully made a good point like is eb just a one-year rental at oc like the way gary kubiak was if he comes here and the ravens have success and then he's just out the door and getting that head coaching job you know he kind of proved that it wasn't just that connection with andy Reid. it wasn't just patrick mahomes you know he just took lamar jackson to the super bowl um in 2023 um, <laughs> you know, like, is, is that, is that a situation that you got to think about too? Right. Like, yeah. it's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. That's a definitely a concern for sure. It's one of those things where if this does happen and I talked to the, the guys about this probably on a, a previous pod, um, I think this hire needs to incorporate more than just the OC. I think he needs to bring in one or two guys they can teach what he's trying to teach and then give you kind of safeguards. If, you know, whoever this hire is, if he blows up, you know, it's an OC, you know, that's the the, the greatest pipeline to a head coaching job there is in the NFL. So if he goes out there and balls out, chances are he's going to be getting head coach interviews regardless of who it is. So they definitely need to, to make sure there's a couple other guys uh, in the pipeline that, that, they feel are qualified to call plays, you know, in future years. Definitely. Definitely. And then let's move into an interesting one that I really, this one caught me off guard, um, but Todd Munkin. uh, So current offensive coordinator and QB coach at the back-to-back champion, Georgia Bulldogs shot shout out Jake. Um, (laughs) 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 What a do baby. Um, 
but uh, obviously we're familiar with him from 2019. He was the OC in Cleveland. Um, did a lot of good things with that zone run game that we saw Nick Chubb run in. And he was the OC in Tampa from 2016 to 2018. So, um, you know, he had that NFL OC experience. Um, he didn't go down to the Nick Saban uh, coach rehabilitation program. He went to their, <laughs> to the, to the, to the other program, Georgia, where, I mean, it may as well turn into that. Um, but, you know, really interesting guy. Um, you know, we've had the opportunity to, I think, dive into Georgia a little bit recently, just some of the draft picks or draft uh, draftable players, guys like George Pickens, we've, we've watched and talked a ton about in that offense. Um, obviously, going back to Ben Cleveland being drafted, watching him in that offense, um, I think he brings a lot of things. Would he have played with Cleveland have been under Munkin? No, he wouldn't have. That was too. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, do they do a lot of things that I think would be of great interest um, in terms of that zone run game, something that I'm really interested in. So, you know, what do you guys kind of think about Todd Munkin? You know, where does where does he kind of stand on your list? I like Munkin. Um, going back to some of those NFL stops that you mentioned, I know it wasn't, you know, the greatest statistical year. Um in, in Cleveland that year, I think they ran it pretty well. Um, not sure how they threw it around, but I want to say that was <clears throat> Baker's second year. His first or second, he might have been his second year. I think Baker was drafted 2018, right? Yeah, same as so the Yeah, so 19 would have been his second year. Um, but then going back to those Bucks years with Jameis, I mean, they were throwing that thing all over the yard. Um, you know, my sometimes daughter, to the other team, sometimes <laughs> to the other team, <laughs> a lot of times to the other team. <laughs> But you know he's that linebacker come from. (laughs) (laughs) Munkin's got that background. Obviously, uh, you know Mike Evans was there. I want to say even Chris Godwin because I think Godwin got drafted in 2017. So I think Godwin was there for at least a year or two. But I want to say Evans had his most receiving yards in a single season under Monkin. I think he had like over 1,500 one year. Obviously, he's had a bunch of. 1,000 receiving not – nothing but 1,000-yard receiving seasons in his entire career. But I think his, his highest yard total came in, in one year with Munkin. Uh, so maybe there's a connection there between Evans and Chris Godwin. You never know. They might be having a fire sale down there in Tampa, so you never know. Um, but then he goes to Georgia, like you said, and, yeah, it's not the, you know, oldest, most respected brand of, of soap, wash, wash the stink off of not – you know, being with a winning uh, <laughs> program as, as Saban, but it's, it's the new soap, oh, right? Yeah. It's the newest brand that's out there, and it's been pretty good <laughs> the last two years. So I think he also got some of that stink, if he had any stink on him, got a little bit of that washed off of him. And you make an interesting point. When you watch Georgia and the way that they play with him under the two years, you see some similar personnel usage to what the Raisins have been doing over the last couple of years. Um, and obviously those guys are still here, so it's not necessarily – the scheme per se, but the personnel usage, right? He wants to play with multiple tight ends. Um, when you've got Brock Bowers, when you've got Darnell Washington, why why wouldn't you want to play with two dudes like that? Uh, a stable of different backs go through there, so they obviously want to run the ball. A lot of things off of play action, get the quarterback on the move. Um, so I think that there's some things that you like from a schematic standpoint and how he uses people. And, you know, I think sometimes it can help with some of these NFL guys who've been in the NFL for a while to kind of go and get that college perspective because the NFL is pretty condensed. I think it's probably started to open up more over the last uh, few years when you see more high school and college concepts coming in. But I want to say for the most part, it's pretty, I shouldn't say condensed. 
maybe homogenous is the right word. You see a lot of the same concepts. Everybody's running the same stuff, essentially, yeah. right? They're running it with different people. How they get into it is different. Where they run it, what kind of coverages they like to run it against. Those are kind of the real, um, you know, the secret sauce between what separates people. So I think it's, it's kind of cool when guys get to step away from some of that and get into college and get exposed to some different concepts some stuff that maybe people aren't doing as much in the NFL or maybe haven't even started doing um, in the NFL. And then you can kind of bring that back with you if you get another opportunity in the NFL. So I think that's a, that's a pretty cool aspect um, about it. So yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one for me. And like I said, from a schematic standpoint, I think I like it. I don't know as much about him personally. I haven't read as much, believe it or not, uh, about him on that level. Um, But, you know, obviously if they, they select him, I'd, I'd be digging into a bunch of that stuff. Yeah, that's one thing with Munkin that stood out was the tight end usage. And I didn't mention it with Canales and Bienemy, but with Bienemy specifically in Casey's offense, we saw that huge shift this year with the more tight end usage. Like, guy, I can't think yeah. of them. The, I just always refer to them like they have, they have like three white tight ends, and I can't figure out who's who. Is it Noah? Is Noah Gray one of them? Noah Blake Gray Bales. and Blake Bales Bales Bales. Blake Bales. Bales. And there's a fourth. It's like the Ravens. Jody Forson, he's there you a go. Uh, yeah. wide receiver. Yeah, and so like, and I don't want to go back to Bienemy, but I mean Bienemy, that was a huge shift in Casey's offense. Um, and they talked about it a ton preseason, and it was just that you know losing Tyreek Hill, some of their wide receiver talent, um, making that adjustment, um, trying to be able to run the ball. And same with um, Seattle's pass game. You know, they had that year where they had. Hollister and Disley and you know they had a couple tight ends out on all and then you get into Munkin and that's kind of your first three guys that I think are probably considered the the top three of interest we'll get into Zach Robinson here soon but all three kind of fitting what we were talking about earlier where I think you want to have that bridge where you're gonna use the personnel you have the tight ends that you have also build up that wide receiver room and mesh that pass game with the run game a little bit better than Greg Roman did, but you're capitalizing on the talent that you currently have on the roster. So um, let's get more into Munkin, but I just want to kind of pop that out as a common theme that goes back to kind of what I think we were all hoping to see. And it's kind of nice. I guess we'll see who gets picked at the end, but it's nice to see kind of what we're looking for come out with our first three kind of candidates. So Chris, what do you think about top Munkin? Yeah. Um, so there, there are some other guys on the list who, who don't have any uh, play calling experience. And I think that's something that me personally, I would like to have somebody who has that ex- that play calling experience. And Todd Munkin, he's definitely one of those dudes, uh, you know, multiple stops in the NFL. Um, and then, like Mike said, went back to college um, and, you know, he kind of you know, went dirty there with the with the run game and the, the two tight end sets. And that's not really what we saw from him in the NFL. You know, we saw him, you know, it looked like damn near arena football when he was in the Bucks. So um, you know, him him going back to him going back to college might have, you know, like Mike said, kind of just, you know, reinvigorated him and gave him some new ideas to use uh maybe at, at whatever his next stop is. So um you know, somebody like that who can bring the, the pass game to, you know, another level. But also the common theme is be able to, you know, run the rock in an effective way. And we saw them do that, you know, really well uh, down in Georgia and where he was able to utilize those two and sometimes even three tight ends. So, uh, you know, that's very important. And 
And I think he he's definitely one of the guys who who's on the top of my list out of these reported dudes who that the Ravens have interest in. I think when you one one thing I'll jump in real quick. I think when he when he's there at Georgia, you know, you, you mentioned those Bucks teams and it looking like arena football, you know, they're throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game. But then you get to Georgia and you got this defense. It's like, look, our entire defense is going to be drafted. All 11 guys will be drafted into the NFL. You don't have to throw it 50 times a game here because those guys are basically going to hold the other team to like 13 points. Oh, yeah. So, and our running backs are going getting drafted every single year, yeah. sometimes two years. Yeah. So it kind of puts you in a different mode as a play caller. Like, all right, maybe back then I had to do it this way because it was the only way we were going to stay in games. I come here. We've got a whole different setup, and now mm-hmm. I can, you know, call games in a different way. And it, it, it it's like it, it's like being a, a a parent, being a dad, and you have a girl for the first time. It taps into a different part of who you are, <laughs> and so yeah. he, he he tapped into a different part of his play calling personality, uh, going down there and, and having those great defenses. Sorry, Carrie, you know I'm gonna make some kind of crazy <laughs> analogy. No, no, that's uh, no, that's actually some good too because you see somebody that's not stubborn. And just set in their ways. You know, he looks at personnel and he's like, all right, I need to utilize these, you know, passing weapons that I have. Oh, I'm in Georgia. I have to utilize, you know, this big, you know, seven, six tight end that I have, (laughs) you know, who weighs 300 pounds. I have to utilize him in every way possible. So it's him using the weapons that he has and and maximizing those skill sets. So that's also another plus for me. Yeah, and he also showed in the back-to-back years going from Zemir White and James Cook, 160 attempts, 113 attempts, into this year with Kenny McIntosh and DeJuan, uh, DeJuan Edwards, 149, 139 attempts, ability to use two running backs. And that obviously fits in really well with, with Ravens having Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins. But let's go to Kerry. What do you think? Yeah, um, uh, constant theme with the tight ends. If I remember correctly, when he was in Cleveland, that was that year that uh, Gary Barnish turned into like prime Tony Gonzalez. <laughs> Pro Bowl year. Pro Bowl <laughs> Gary Barnish. That including year. lighting up the Ravens. Like, <laughs> Oh, my God. That's a name. <laughs> I think he made the Pro Bowl that year. I think you're yeah. right, Gary. Yeah. So, I mean, at every stop. He did. Just about. <laughs> you, you know, he, he's utilized the tight end. Um I, I come back to the marrying of the passing and the running game. I know he's going to do that. I have no question he's going to do that. You know, I, I seen it in Cleveland, uh, not so much in Tampa Bay, um, but definitely when he was in Cleveland, um, his use of play action, his use of motion, um, his ability to, to kind of uh, call up those shot plays when the opportunity presents itself, all those things are – definitely exciting things to me. So um, I I think he's another candidate that um, I would be totally happy with if, if, you know, he wound up being higher. And um, as you guys pointed out, how he kind of changed styles comes back to it. I need to craft a game plan to win that week. Not necessarily what my history is, not necessarily – what I want to do, not necessarily what, you know, anybody else wants me to do. What is the best opportunity for me to win this particular game and lean in on that? 
that that's you know what I want to see um, from a uh, OC candidate, and and I think he he brings that. I think you guys just sold me on top Munkin. I think that's what I got out of this conversation. <laughs> he might get the stamp of approval. Um, the, the next guy I want to talk about, um, one of my favorite connections was Zach Robinson. So currently, um, all of his coaching experience, but under Sean McVay in LA, uh, became an assistant QB coach in 2019. 2020, he was assistant wide receiver coach, became a pass game coordinator and QB coach this year. Um, Interesting pieces that they hired Mike LaFleur to be their own OC um, instead of promoting Zach Robinson, which is always interesting when he's being you know interviewed on, on other teams. Um, but he is also a former NFL quarterback and was Kevin Zeitler's teammate in Cincinnati, <laughs> which is kind of interesting <laughs> just to see going from your backup quarterback to your potential offensive coordinator. But um, I'm not going to lie. I don't know a whole lot about Zach Robinson and his history. So I'm going to lean on you guys a lot on this. So I'll probably just sit back here in listening mode and let you guys go. You know, I should, I should correct myself on one thing though. I said, uh, Gary Barnes had that pro bowl year under Monken. It was not, it was Angelico. Brian Angelico was the tight ends coach that year at Cleveland. Now he's a guy, I think uh, we might not even mention his name, but wasn't he a guy who also on the list? Yeah. So so there's, so there's Angelico. Uh, I'm on the list. Everyone's on the list. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, with Zach Robinson, like you said, he's, he's got the, uh, he's got the Sean McVay dust uh, sprinkled on him. So he's been in that system. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, you know, you know how those guys are regarded around the league. Uh, the other thing that was interesting to me about him is if you go back, uh, another guy who played quarterback in college at Oklahoma State, if you go back to when he played, he was a dual threat QB. So I'm not going to say he played the same as Lamar, but in terms of a guy who could throw it and who could also run it, I want to say his second year there, his sophomore year there, there was only he he threw for uh, three, at least 3,000, maybe over 3,000 yards, and I think ran for 800 in the season, or it might have been 600, either 600 or 800. There was only one other guy who did that that year, and that was Tim Tebow, who won the Heisman that year. So he was a guy who kind of had that dual threat style. Um, so it's kind of interesting to me to see a guy who kind of came up that way as a player, but then came into a system as a coach where it's, a, it's obviously less of the QB running and more of the QB throwing and distributing the ball. So he's seen it from both sides in a way, right? He's been a guy who um, – you know, had to kind of run around uh, in addition to throw it just because he had the ability to do it and the way that that offense was designed uh, back when he was at Oklahoma State. Um, but then also now seeing it under McVay and kind of coming under that tree and saying, hey, here's some things that we can do with guys who may be athletic, you know, have some athletic ability or mobile, but we're going to use them in a different way. We're not going to necessarily run them, but we're going to move them around. We're going to boot them out. We're going to naked them. You know, we're going to do all of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of interesting to me about him. And then also he had, you know, just a little unique stop in his, his journey, right. Where he worked for PFF for a little bit. So he got a little bit of exposure uh, to analytics from that side of it. Making um, upgrades. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, I thought that was also interesting. And he worked at a place before PFF when he, when he kind of, you know, his playing days were done. He was trying to figure out kind of what he wanted to do next. He worked at a place called the QB ranch. Uh, down in Texas. There's a lot of these QB training schools, but I think they focused more on like uh, junior high and high school guys. I don't know if they work with a ton of college guys. I think he did work uh, with at least one. He might have worked with Brandon Whedon the year that he was going into the draft. 
uh, doing some QB training. So he's kind of got that background to him. So a young guy, but a guy who's, you know, done a couple different things, has a background as a player that maybe is something that, you know, might be a little bit relatable to Lamar. He's like, hey, man, I ran it around too, you know, so I kind of know what that's like. Um, so it's kind of interesting about him. But I think a lot of people, it was kind of like a buzz when his name was connected because of that McVay dust. I think that was that's kind of the biggest thing with him. Yeah, this this one um, this one made me feel old, man. I didn't like seeing his name linked to it, man, <laughs> because you know I remember, man, he was Justin Blackman's quarterback. He was Dez's quarterback. So it's and then I watched him in the Senior Bowl too, and it was just like, damn, like they, they have to so do fast. this to me. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but no, uh, seriously though, you know when I think this was like the first one that was announced too. Um, when they first announced it, so when when they announced it, I was like, whoa, okay, like so you know they they really trying to you know scour the the earth and and find somebody and and look for different ideas. Uh, when you look at the Rams compared to you look at the Rams offense compared to the what the Ravens have traditionally ran. It's like, oh, okay. Like they really, really want to, you know, flip this thing around and try to, you know, make this a, a more pass centric offense. Not not to just lean so heavily towards the passing game, but just be able to, you know, lift this passing game up just a little bit more. And, you know, with a guy like this, that's that's kind of the direction that you see them wanting to go in. And and you see that common theme with a lot of the the candidates that they have lined up is you see the pass game coordinator, pass game coordinator, QB coach, QB coach. You know, you see a lot of these dudes who are either quarterback centric or pass game coordinators. And I, I think with a guy like Zach Robinson, now I don't think he's going to get hired, but the fact that they're, you know, going into this, you know, into this interview process and just picking his brain and seeing where he is and what he wants to do, I think that's a step in the right direction for them as a team, like just philosophically philosophically, and knowing where they want to get better. Um, but as far as like what he wants to do and what he can do, what kind of offense he'll bring, you know, we don't know that. I mean, he's never called any games before at, at any level unless he did some work in high school. But you know, in college or professional level, he's never called a game. So um, for me personally, that's something that I would like. And whoever the next OC is, is somebody that has that experience calling plays. And uh, for me, it's just, yeah, it's he doesn't have enough experience to, in, in that department for me personally. Yeah, this one, honestly, you know, surprisingly enough, this might be my personal lean. And Mike, you've talked about this and you've kind of um, gotten me kind of hyped about the, the thought process of, of the Ravens specifically in this offense. Cole, you talked about it as well, about how smooth of a transition it could be um, playing in, in, in a McVay-Shanahan type of scheme. And so you look at this guy, young guy, played the quarterback position. Another guy that came in as a quarterback coach 
McVay asked him, hey, I'm, I, I want you to coach wide receivers. He coached wide receivers for a year, went back to – Uh oh, freeze up again. I'm as big of a smile this time. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know if he believes the Zach Robinson stuff he's selling. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's what you can do when when people freeze up. Well, Grant, he'll come right back in. So, uh, you know, interesting thing on Zach Robinson. Something that Chris said, and I mean, it kind of counts for Canales too. Um, but just not having that experience calling a game is something that I definitely didn't really think about a ton until right now. We get carried back. Just down to a black screen. Um, but something that definitely you have to think about, just there's so much that goes into that that you know you learn only through experience. And do we want that experience to be gained through um you know, someone's first kick at it, but let's go back to carry on Zach Robinson. Is that going to kick his other one? There we go. I think he's in. You back, Gary? Yeah. Oh, maybe he can't hear us. I don't think he could hear us. We're experiencing technical difficulties, folks. Um, Either he can't hear us or he's just ignoring us and he doesn't yeah. like us. No, I think he froze again. But I want to awesome. carry to finish because I wanted that full breakdown. Yeah. But but you make a you make a good point. If you look at Harbaugh's history of hiring OCs, I don't think he's hired anybody who hasn't called plays before. Um and not I, to, think I, he, I don't want to I don't want to cut you off, but think about what happened with Mike McDonald, where he had like I don't want to say that was all orchestrated ahead of time, but I do. he leaves for a year to go to michigan and calls plays and then he comes right back it seemed a little too coincidental um but still you know just that one year even though it's one year of getting that experience it's still experience you know going through the lumps of what actually happens to you in a game um but carrie carrie you back with us can you hear us yeah yeah all right we want to go back to you because we 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 want that uh we, we want that we want that good news story on that problem. So let's finish it up, man. Yeah, so uh, McVay asked him to coach wide receivers. So he coached wide receivers uh, for a year, went back to quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't draw it up. You can't you can't make it. You, you guys sold me on up. Todd Munkin and now I'm just spoiling Carrie's connection. <laughs> Oh man, he's out. He may be back. He may He'll be definitely back. be back. He'll definitely be back. <laughs> I think it was Caldwell. That's the guy I had to look up. Jim Caldwell was the only guy who didn't have OC title, but he had been a head coach, obviously, uh, in college and with the Colts, and he had worked um, as a wide receiver and a QB coach um, with some other teams. But when you look back at all the OCs that have been hired under Harbaugh, that Harbaugh's either hired directly or I guess was part of it. Every one of them has had previous play calling experience somewhere else. So obviously it's something that matters to him too. Uh, like you said, he, he probably doesn't want that on, on the job uh, training. And I want to say it was the same thing with the, uh, the defensive coordinators. Yeah, same thing. Um, Rex, Greg Madison, Chuck Pagano, Dean Pease, Martindale, and then McDonald down to college level. They all had been coordinators uh, you know, at some level 
before they were hired. So he seems to be a big believer in that. Yeah, it fits the, uh, fits the mold. And, you know, you got to think of going out and, you know, Mike, what you've talked about a ton is just going out and getting ideas. And that's something that that's not just new to the OC search. Um, we've seen guys kind of come in and just kind of do, um, uh, you know, I don't want to say like, well, not like seminars, but, the, you know, they'll come in and visit the team. And we saw um, – who Willie just recently, Willie Taggart come through um, yeah. and his connection with the Harbaugh family and Paul Johnson a couple Paul years Johnson. ago, Joe Moorhead was back and in so there. I'm not saying that's what they're doing. Cause it's not the exact same. Like I think the, I, these guys are actually getting interviews, but it, it all kind of plays into that, right? That, that knowledge transfer, that exchange of ideas. Um, it's all kind of part of this process. And when you get into, we're not going to touch on all the names cause they're literally like, we're not going to touch on the Chad Hall, Brian, Byron Leftwich, Chad O'Shea, Justin Newton. Um, what was the name you just mentioned? Uh, the tight end Ange- coach, Brian Angelico. Brian Angelico. Like it's, we we'd be here all night, but it's it is interesting to see how wide that they'll go um, in this search, uh, which I think is good. I think it's good mm-hmm. to kind of get those ideas, do that cross pollination, um, and really take your time and figure out what you want to do moving forward. Um, so unfortunately, we haven't seen. I don't think anybody from the at least directly from this year from the Shanahan tree, which I think is an an area that a lot of people I know I was really interested in. Like a guy like, um, you know, I was really interested in someone like Bobby Slowick, who's their current pass game coordinator. But even I'm blanking on his first name, but Forrester, he's their offensive line coach and their run game coordinator. Chris Forrester. Um, yeah. What is it? What's the first name? Chris. Chris, sorry, I was thinking Greg Forrester. I don't know why, but yeah, Chris you Forrester. Want, you want Greg Roman back, that's why. I, I miss him. I miss hey, him. Some of those guys might be going uh, to the Texans. D'Amico might be taking those guys with him. Well, he. I think Bobby Slowick was on his list uh, for OC interviews. So, um, you know, really, really interesting connections there. But, uh, you know, I I guess if uh, – we'll see if Kerry comes back in because I would like to finish that Zach Robinson conversation. I guess – of all the names we've seen, the guys we just discussed, if you guys had to boil it down, you're not we're not in the interview room, but let's pretend we are. Um, if you guys had to pick one guy, who's your guy? Who are you picking? Oof. That's tough. You want me to go first, Chris? Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I really think of the people that we've talked to, uh, talked about, it's probably between Munkin and uh Canalis for me. And for different reasons, I mean, I might – here we go. Let's just go to Kerry. Let's just stop me right there. <laughs> <laughs> and let's let Kerry finish up what he All was right. saying. Man, Zach Robinson. Perfect timing. Not letting me be great today, but – No, this is perfect timing. <laughs> perfect timing, Kerry. You saved me from having to pick an OC. But, yeah, what I'll say is that intriguing about him is, again, when he coached the receivers and then went back to the quarterbacks – he talked about him coaching the receivers that year was the most fun he had coaching period. And it was just interesting for a quarterback guy coming in as a quarterback coach for him to say that the year he coached receivers was the most fun he had. And what he talked about with that is learning it from their lens, learning the amount of detail that went into every route that they run, uh, understanding how important they are to the running game, those kind of things. So that stood out for me. And then 
uh, in that media availability, I think one of the first things he talked about was marrying or running the past. And like, okay, you got the job. You say that you got the job. I'm sorry. <laughs> like it's your job, but um, it, it's more. He's he's impressive. He's young. It, it is scary because he hasn't called plays. Um, and for me, I think it's probably more that McVeigh, like Mike said, that McVeigh dust is sprinkled on him. Um, and it's not so much McVeigh; it's more so the scheme and how I see the scheme being the perfect marriage between this smash mouth Ravens team and the need to kind of um, take a step forward in the passing game. So um, that for me, it just makes him very, very intriguing to me. I would love to hear more about him. I would love to be a fly on the wall in these interviews to see what his specific plans are. Uh, But just those things make, make him a very, very interesting candidate to me. Love it, love it. Now over to MC to pick his OC. Way <laughs> <laughs> right back on the hot seat. All right. So, like I said, I was, I was probably between Munkin and Canales. Canales, I got all of the personal bias stuff, uh, just because of some of the things he shared in his personal life. But I probably would lean towards Munkin. Uh, I, I, I think Chris made a really good point about valuing guys who've called plays at this level before it's not to say that you could never go with somebody who hasn't done it before because all of those guys have to start somewhere some of them start in college they don't necessarily start you know their first try at it isn't necessarily at the nfl level uh some some people it is um so i'm not it's not like i'm totally against it but i do think that there is value in that because you know it, it becomes an art at a certain point right more art than science just having a feel for games um, you know, when to call certain things, when to maybe get away from certain things because of the way the defense is playing or the way your guys are playing, you know, for whatever reason. So I think that there definitely is kind of a feel thing to that that is probably hard to get until you've done it. I think we saw that a little bit this year on defense with Mike McDonald, even though he did it, you know, he called plays, he called defense in uh, at Michigan last year. I think you could see throughout the season how he kind of progressed as a defensive play caller. Here's what my guys do well. Here's what they don't do well. Here are the situations where maybe I can get a little bit more creative. Here's the situations where it's, hey, let's just keep the top, keep the lid on everything, keep everything in front of us. I think he, and, and he stuck with that throughout um, the season, which I thought was a very mature thing because sometimes you can, you can have that going in and then things start to go bad and you want to get away from it. You start to panic a little bit, like, all right, this is not working. Send the house, send pressure. Let's just send pressure. But he didn't. He said, you know what? No, no. We're going to stay back. We're going to keep the lid on everything. And it kind of steadied the ship, right? So I think that there's some maturity there. So I I, I lean towards Monken probably because of that, because he does have that experience. And again, I think there's something to be said for him having been in the NFL, but then gone to college for all the reasons that we talked about. Plus, he's had to kind of immerse himself in a different world. He's had to recruit. You know what I mean? So he's going into the living rooms of, you know, 17 and 18 year olds. And uh, again, being around just younger athletes, because a lot of times, you know, in an NFL locker room, you're going to have a variety of ages. You're going to have some young guys. You're going to have some guys that might be no, not closer to Todd Munkin's age. But, you know, a guy like Elias Campbell, you know, who's been in the league forever. He's got family, you know. uh, And so you're going to get a different kind of, you know, diaspora of ages. Whereas in college, obviously all those guys are young. And so now you're having to kind of adjust 
Um, you know, we see this sometimes, I guess you guys probably all see this too, in our, our, our work lives, right? They talk about the generational workforces and you got people who are in their baby boomers and Gen Xs and why, you know, and then how do you interact with all of these different generations? Well, he's been forced to kind of have to do that, right? Because he did leave the NFL world because sometimes some of those guys get kind of stuck in their ways in terms of how they relate to players, right? Just on a personal level. Well, he's had to to get some exposure to that. And I'd be surprised if he hasn't adjusted and changed and grown in some ways. I'd, I'd be shocked if he went down there and was just like, hey, I'm going to be, you know, the same way I was when I was relating to players in the NFL. You would think that that would require some kind of change and, and hopefully in a positive way. I mean, I've heard a couple of his players come out and say, hey, we hope he doesn't leave. You know, Kenny McIntosh, he's not even going to be there anymore. And he was like, I hope he doesn't leave Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to the NFL. He still wants him to stay in Georgia. So feel, you know, feels like those guys, you know, thought highly of him. So yeah, that's of the guys that we've talked about. I still want to leave the caveat for guys like Brian Johnson. I would leave myself a little crack in the door for guys like Brian Johnson or maybe some other people um, who they haven't talked to yet as a possibility. But of the guys that we've talked about, I probably would lean Monkin. Yeah, and I'll, I'll throw mine out there because I, I I'm in on Monkin too. Um, I think he ticks a lot of the boxes for me. Um, I think he would really his style, his approach offers that nice bridge for what the Ravens currently have with a dynamic duo of running backs. We've seen him in back-to-back years use two running backs very effectively. Um, they run a pretty even split of gap versus zone, which I think would benefit um, the transition of personnel. I think I definitely lean towards, I'd like to see a more of a zone approach because I think that's how you're truly going to unlock a guy like Tyler Linderbaum who can really, you know, take that next step as a run blocker. Um, despite, I think he answered pretty much any question I had in his ability to run gap um, as well. But I mean, to get to that truly elite level. Um, so that's intriguing. Um, but then also, you know, having an offense that, that can be kind of 12 personnel dominant. Um, we've seen him do that. Um, and we've seen him do good things at the NFL level and really use the receivers that he had. I mean, Mike Evans was fed when Chris Godwin came into the picture, both were fed. Um, you know, I think he kind of would have that best of both worlds. Um, and that ability to utilize wide receiver talent, assuming Eric DaCosta does kind of add to that room the way he, he spoke to. So I, I'm all for nuke. He's that's where my, that's where my guy is. Um, I will pray until I'm heartbroken again. Um, but, you know, him and Bateman, Todd Monk can call him plays. I think he could be in worse positions. Um, Chris, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with a name that you none, none of you guys have said. Um, I want Marty Morningwig back. <laughs> I, I, want, I want Marty Ball back. Oh, wait. Chris is freezing. Um, <laughs> um, the guys are working hard. They're really preparing. <laughs> um, no, um, I, I lean Munkin, but I, I'm going to go a different way. Since both of you guys pick Munkin, I'm going to say EB. Uh, EB, because I, I would love to see what kind of offense he would run here. Um, you know, being a, you know, a, a Damn, former I forgot about back. EB. Can I change my – I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, no, being a former running back, uh, you know, I would love to see what kind of offense he would run on his own, you know, away from Andy Reid. Um, and then just that we've seen that that kind of personality on the defensive side of the coaching staff, you know, where we have Rex, we have Wink, you know, we had those 
kind of dominant alpha type personalities on that side of the ball. And, you know, we haven't really had that on the offensive side, you know, and bringing that kind of attitude and that kind of passion. I, I think that's just like a part of what this offense needs. You know, they, they kind of need an identity. They need someone to be that, you know, that, that voice to just, you know, give them that attitude that, that they haven't really had. And it's kind of been missing since 2019 and, you know, you could attribute that to, you know, maybe Yonder leaving, you know, because we know he was such a big force on that. But, you know, you have a guy like EB who hold dudes accountable. Uh, he's been in these big time games. He's been able to win and, and you know, uh, elevate his offenses to in big time situations. So um, I, I think I go with EB as, as far as the coordinator is concerned. But uh, but like Mike said at the end of his little speech. I would like to see some Brian Johnson. <laughs> Has he had that connection to another to another opportunity? I, I haven't seen, I've seen his name floated once. I, I have not seen. I, I've seen the 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 OC for them for the for the Eagles. Uh, I've seen him connected to the, the Colts. Maybe you know people think, oh, that's a given. He's going to get a head coaching job, and Johnson would just slip right into the yeah. OC role there. That's but um, yeah. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was I, thinking with him too, because I mean, what he's done with uh, with Jalen Hurts, yeah. there's no way people aren't knocking on that door. But it made sense for him to kind of wait it out, see what happens with the OC, and then he can walk right into uh, that job and you know springboard that into a head coaching job. Um, and two, that's what I think is maybe happening. Um, with well, in a different way, with Zach Robinson, with them giving Lafleur the office of coordinator job, um, I think the thought process there is Zach Robinson. He had some interest with the Chargers before they went with Kellen Moore, but you know maybe he sees it as an opportunity to go somewhere and actually call plays instead of being an OC under McVay, and McVay is the one calling the plays. So. You know, trying to strike that balance, you you get interest from being on McVay's staff, but, you know, you're going to be kind of limited as to what you can do if you can't call plays. So, you know, I'm sure he's a guy that wants to get out there and kind of, um, you know, see what he can do as a play caller. And I, I'll make one other note, just kind of tying up what you guys said. And it was something I wanted to ask, and you guys basically answered it as far as, would you want a coordinator with um, play calling experience and a knock against Zach Robinson and, you know, something that, you know, I'm with you guys on Munkin and EB. Zach Robinson would make a lot of sense on an upstart team. This isn't that. This is a team that wants to compete for Super Bowls. They just hired a, a defensive coordinator last year that didn't have um, play calling experience on the NFL level. Um, so, you know, that, that would be kind of a big ass to turn around the next year and then hire an OC without play calling experience on the NFL level. Um, so, you know, that's something you got to think about. Um, and then two, you know, we always talk about um, that McVay dust. Zach Robinson, if he got here, 
they might be trying to hire him in six games if it goes well, you know, because, <laughs> you know, anybody that that is related to McVeigh or Shanahan, they, you know, they plucking them out of elementary school at this point <laughs> to offer them coaching jobs. So a guy like Munkin that has been the hot name before has done some good things. But then when you saw that Tampa thing end, he didn't really get NFL interests like that. So he went to college. And so, you know, he's been around, done a little more, maybe we more comfortable with setting roots in Baltimore and say, hey, I'm happy to call plays here. I got Lamar here. I got a good opportunity to win. You know, maybe I'm more comfortable not chasing, um, you know, the next head coaching job. So maybe he's a guy that you can keep for a few years and, you know, Based on what Giro was making from what we hear, they, they're they willing to put them checks out there. So, <laughs> um, you know, cash shouldn't be an issue. That man making $3.5 million a year. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to be publicly shamed for saying we should fire him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that meme of someone crying, wiping their face with $20 bills. <laughs> I legitimately did forget about Eric B. Enemy, though, so I kind of do want to change my <laughs> I forgot that we had talked about him. I can't well, believe Well, the it. point that just got made that, like, it isn't – we're not some up and starting – like, assuming – I think things are a little different if Lamar is traded for draft capital and then they go down the route of kind of – well, and even in that case, I mean, you're not rebuilding the offense. You still have so many key pieces um, to, to bring in – a rookie or a vet stopgap like a Jacoby Brissett type that you may still lead. But I mean, if Lamar's back, even if you're only getting one, two years of Eric Bieniemy in the situation that you're going to be in with the defense they have and the personnel and, you know, DeAndre Hopkins being late in his career, um, you know, it might make sense to just get that guy that's going to maybe be gone in a year or two, but is going to push your offense um, over the top and, and really be able to compete for that, that next step. So I, that, that's a really good point in terms of the, the youth verse, you know, older guy who may be here shorter term. So can I go Brian Johnson, EB Munkin? I like that. <laughs> then morning away. <laughs> he's going to be way down on the, he's going to be further down on the list for me. Uh, I, I respect Chris's opinion. Uh, but Brian, Brian Johnson has called plays. Called him Please direct there. all tweets at Chris. Just joking. Called him at Houston. I think he called. I think he called plays at Houston. I know he called him at Florida. Obviously, he worked with Dak at Mississippi State. Um, you know who was the guy? Who who's the quarterback at uh, uh, in Florida when he was there? Kyle Trask. Trask. Trask Kyle Trask. Yeah. So I mean, I'm like, look, this guy has worked with some guys that aren't necessarily guys that are like top of mind when you're like man these are great quarterback prospects and i mean look he, he helped that guy get into the league i don't know if he's still in the league but he helped him yeah, get into the Tampa. league okay and obviously you've seen what he's done with Jalen hurts and as you know chris and carol we talked about recently um i didn't realize that brian johnson had that connection to Jalen hurts that he played for Jalen hurts dad in high school so he's been around Jalen hurts like his entire life um yeah. almost but you know good uh, another guy who was a quarterback you know at utah uh, under Urban Meyer, he's been with Dan Mullen um, in a couple different stops, including Florida, where he made him the first black OC at Florida when Dan Mullen, um, you know, hired him there. So uh, he's a guy that I'm just really interested in just because uh, he's worked with quarterbacks. 
we haven't necessarily seen him have an opportunity to call plays at the NFL level, but it seems like he's at that step in the progression. But like Gary said, he's been getting, you know, name thrown around for head coaching position. So maybe he'll just leapfrog that and go right to, you know, maybe he'll pull the Kingsbury, you know what I mean? And he'll just go right, right to the head coaching role. Uh, and then, you know, if it doesn't go well, you can just jet to Thailand and be like, don't call me <laughs> for like a year. Don't call me because I'm in Thailand. Chill. <laughs> okay. I'm done. I, I, you know, I can't pick one person, you know, that. I can't All right. Well, I think that about covers it. I mean, we're going to have to do this again. Love the crossover idea. Um, for those out there listening to you guys watching football, Deep Cover Podcast, if anybody wants to re-listen, the audio version will be out on the Deep Cover Pod, wherever you get your pods. Um, obviously, subscribe, hit likes, follow everybody, all that good stuff. Um, but, boys, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I missed you guys. I haven't done any of these in a yes, while, sir. and I missed you guys. Yes, but this is our season. It's draft season, and yeah. there's going to be a lot to do, and this is where, um, you know, it's and it gets boring in the winter up here in Canada. I was telling you guys, we got, I think, six feet of snow in the last Damn. six, seven weeks. So, yeah, it's depressing. <laughs> it's depressing. Hey. <laughs> hey, I got three days of senior bowl practices all uploaded for you. Go back and watch them all. There you go. <laughs> I got to go check them arm yeah, length measurements first, though. I have not been productive at work at all these last few days. <laughs> hey, too many one on ones. How can they expect yeah. anybody to work with all these one on ones going on? Seriously. Exactly. Take down my manager in one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, folks, that's all we have for you guys. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Peace out, everyone. <laughs>